Oh, well, guys, again, uh, welcome. Man, I'm loud today. Okay. That's all right. Uh, guys, that video pretty much kind of summed it up. If you look at um, culture today, if you look at uh, uh, people today, we all have a different opinion about what Christianity is. If you ask a hundred different people what Christianity is, you're going to get a hundred different answers, more than likely. Uh, just take me, for instance, just this uh, just a few minutes ago, uh, we forgot the children's curriculum box. And so I had this little thing, I, I, I was trying to make it there and back before service started, and which I did, by the way. I think I made it a little about two minutes late, but uh, in order to get back to my house from the church to the house and then back to the church, I had to uh, break a couple of laws. I had to speed very, very, very um, fast, and I had to run a couple stop signs. I didn't run a red light, so it's kind of like, kind of, you don't want to do the, 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 the worst thing is to run a red light, but if you run a stop sign, it's not so bad, right? It's what we think in, in, in our mind today, and so that's what that's what I did. I, I went all the way over there, and in the back of my mind, I was thinking, as I'm going about 50 down my heart. <laughs> Yeah, I, saying, I was <laughs> flying, and there was a Mustang, and I felt like I was in Fast and the Furious, which, by the way, Fast and the Furious Part 6 comes out, and the, the summer is going to be awesome. Okay, anyway, side note, uh, guy thing. And so, uh, as I'm driving down this, this road, I'm thinking back in my mind, man, if I get stopped, what am I going to say? Like, I can just picture this, the, you know, the knock on my window, right? And here comes the officer. He's like, sir, I stopped you for going 60 and a 30, you know, or something like that. And then what am I going to say? Yeah, officer, I got to get this children's curriculum back to the church because church is about to start up. If I don't get the children's curriculum to the church and the kids can't learn about Jesus, that would be a bad impression of a Christian. We all have our thoughts about Christianity. A lot of Christians are defined by what they don't do, Right? By what they don't do. Some Christians are known for not cussing, right? Um, y'all can turn to AC off if you want, Jason. Um, some Christians are known for not cussing. Like I'm a Christian because I don't I don't cuss, or uh, I'm a Christian because I don't smoke, or I'm a Christian because I don't drink, or I'm a Christian because I don't fill in the blank. I'm a Christian because I don't wear bikinis at the beach. I'm a Christian because I don't like to dance. All these things are are known for things that we don't. Do uh, many Christians are they're not known for what they do? They're known for what they don't do. Uh, some of us are known for being hypocrites. We tend to fight with each other. In fact, the Christian army is the only army that will kill its wounded. If you ever notice that, if you're down, if you're out, you're usually going to be outcasted from the church. Most, most churches in America will not accept you if you are. If you sin, you got like that scarlet letter across your chest. They just won't accept you. Not here in Impact City, but most churches around America, that's what they're known for. Uh, some people are just uh, known for being judgmental against sinners. Uh, some of them are like bragging on all their blessings. It's the health, wealth, success theory in Christianity. There are so many ideas for what Christians should be. Okay, which brings me to this idea, this conclusion, is that maybe the word. Christian is not what it was meant to be anymore. Like maybe the word Christian isn't even mean Christian like the way what we think Christian is. Because if everyone thinks Christian means something different, then the, the definition of Christian has changed. A lot of words change over time. In fact, the word Christian was first used in the back in the town in the city of Antioch. 
by pagans who were actually making fun of those who were Christ's followers. They were calling Christianos. That's not Mexican, that's, that's, you know, that's Antioch, it's Christianos, which meant Christians, which means those who are like Christ. And it wasn't meant to be like, hey, I'm like Christ. And this big proud thing, it was more of a choking thing. It's like, you're like Christ, you're an idiot, you're a loser, you're, you're a buffoon, whatever. They called them that to make fun of them. But you and I know it as Christ-like, that when we call ourselves Christians, and I think we all here would agree, is that we would call ourselves Christians because we are Christ-like, we're Christ followers. But how many of us actually understand that? If you open your Bibles up to Luke chapter 14, verse 25, that's where we're going to kind of just jump off of. We're going to kind of see the cost of being a, a follower of Christ. And we're going to see another word in there that's going to kind of be a little more direct as to what we should be versus what people think we are. But if you're looking up to Luke chapter 14, verse 25, it says this. It says, a large crowd is following Jesus. He turned around and said to them, if you want to be my disciple. First, let me back up. The crowd was following Jesus because he was doing some awesome things. He was healing the blind. He would raise the dead. He was feeding like 5,000. And if you're like anyone in society back then, if someone is bringing the dead back to life, you're going to follow that guy, right? Because he's doing some awesome things. And in Christianity, in our life today, we like to follow God when he does awesome things in our life. Like We love following God when God's good, right? God is good all the time? No. <laughs> Not to us. Sometimes we think God is good, and sometimes we get stopped or something, and He, instead of leading us through something, He makes us stay in something so we can learn, so when we get out of it, we're better, okay? And so that can be kind of a dark time, but this is saying right here, he says, a large crowd was following Jesus, and you can just kind of think of it like this, they're following Jesus because He is awesome, because He's doing all these great, good things, okay? And Jesus knows this, and He says this, he turned around and he said to them, if you want to be my disciple, he didn't say you want to be my Christian, you want to be my disciple, you must hate everything else by comparison. Your father, your mother, your wife, your children, brothers and sisters, yes, even your own life. Otherwise, you cannot be my disciple. And if you do not carry your own cross and Follow me. You cannot be my disciple. It's just kind of like the biggest party pooper of all time right there. Like, that is like the biggest stop, you know? Like, they're all happy. Everything's going. You just turn around and says, look, you guys want to follow me? You want to be my disciples? You need to hate your life. You need to pretty much die to yourselves. The story later goes on to say that like half of those people just stopped following him. Because it got too hard. That's insane. That's intense. But many of us don't count the cost of following Christ. If you look at the polls in America today, 85% of Americans would claim they're Christians. Some 247 million people in America claim that they're Christians. But if you look at statistics and look at America today and really look at where we're at, those 85% of Christians are more likely, are still just as likely to uh, go through divorce, go through abortion of babies, um, they never tithe, and they're even less likely to help out the poor than actual non-Christians. So really, the 85% is looking more like a general scope, where we're all kind of look the same. Let me ask you this, if we're all supposed to be Christians, 
and we're supposed to be set apart, and what makes us different if we keep doing the same mistakes that we were making before we were Christians? We gotta count the cost. We gotta really see what it's like to be a Christian, what it really means to be a Christian. The problem is, is that being a Christian is easy, but being a disciple is hard. So I want to challenge us for the next five weeks. We're going to be on this series called Disciple. I want to challenge us to just stop using the word Christian. Just stop it. Because Christian is not what Christian means, right? But to be a disciple, now that holds water. To be a disciple, now that's something heavier. When you come up and you say, what religion are you? I say I'm a disciple of Christ. They're going to freak out because it just sounds huge. You say you're a Christian, they're going to be like, oh yeah, that's the guy that goes to church. That's it. But you say you're a disciple I'm a follower of Christ. Now, what does it take to be a disciple? What are some of the traits? The word disciple actually means mathemaeus. So I'll say it with you, mathemaeus. So you, you, okay, thank you. That was awesome. Thank you, Deborah. If, if you, <laughs> if you want to say it, mathemaeus, instead of the word disciple, you're like, what are you? Uh, uh, what do you, what do you do? What are you? Like, I'm, I'm, I'm mathemaeus. I have a mathematics of Yahweh. And they're like, whoa, what, what, what kind of weird cult are you in? Like, no, I'm just a follower of Christ. You can say that the word mathematics means a learner, a pupil, disciple, follower. We are disciples of Christ is what we really are. Now, when I say we're going to look at a few traits about disciples, because disciple is one of the major key components in Impact City Church. Being a disciple is like, Number two in our list of DNA elements. Does anyone know our DNA elements? No one knows. Okay, I knew that because I just wrote them. Um, number one is to spread the gospel. If someone asks you, what are, the, what are the things that make your church so awesome? This determine this. We, we spread the gospel. We make disciples. We live in community. We give to the mission as our tithes and our offerings. And we worship Christ. Make disciples is a major part of Impact City, and that is why we're going to look over some of the traits in making a disciple. The first trait, if you're taking notes on your incredibly large galaxy notes, if you're taking notes, would you please write this down? A disciple of Jesus will touch a leper. Disciples of Jesus touch lepers. Leper, not leopards, not like the cat. Because if you touch the leopard, the cat, you're going to get your arm chopped off, okay? So we're not talking about the cat. We're talking about lepers. Now, now what does that mean, okay? What does it mean? People don't like to touch the unclean. Amen? Women, y'all don't like touching anything that's unclean. It's ewy. It's gooey. It's nasty. It's, it, it, besides that first, kids' poop is not unclean. That's, that's just that's what parents deal with. But I know whenever I come home from work, whenever we, I go off to work and, and we've had a hard night at work or a hard day and we're sweaty and I go home stinky, my boots are just covered in mud and oil. I got oil and chemical stains in my shirt. I'm nasty. I come in. I'm like, hey, baby, put it here, right? Come on. And you be hug. I'm tired, honey. The chair is like, oh, heck no. You got to take yourself a bath, boy. Now, we don't like to touch the unclean. When we wake up in the morning and we roll over, we're like, give me a big smooch. And you have that unclean mouth. You know what I'm talking about? That nasty, pasty stuff on your mouth because you've been like, <sighs> sleeping like that all night long. That is unclean. No one wants to kiss you. You're reeking dog breath. No one wants that. It's nasty. It's unclean. Get away. Wash yourself before you come to me. Um, that's what a leper is. A leper was someone who was unclean. Okay? Look at Mark uh, chapter 1, verse 40. It says, A man 
But the leprosy came and knelt in front of Jesus, begging to be healed. He says, if you are willing, you can heal me and make me clean, he said. He's telling Jesus, I am unclean. I am nasty. I am messed up. And what does that really, really mean? If you look at the background of, of that, what that is, is that the leper would... Whenever a leper would go into a town, any leper of the day, he was forced to say the words, unclean, unclean. And he had to scream that when he would enter the town. So everyone who would see him would know that he's a leper, he's got the disease, and they can run away. Now, why do they want to run away from Lenny the leper? See, Lenny the leper had problems. Lenny the leper's fingers would fall off. Lenny the leper had knobs for hands. His ears would fall off. He was a sick disease. And we all know about leprosy. It's nasty. You can look at pictures online, Google it. It's pretty bad. Your skin basically falls off and you're dying from the inside out. But this is what he had. And no one wanted to touch him. Now I've always used the, the leper. If you look at the Bible, leper is always representative of sin. Everyone ran away from him. No one wanted to be next to him. No one wanted to touch him. No one wanted to catch the virus that he had. But listen, we keep reading. It says, A man with leprosy came and knelt in front of Jesus and begged to be healed. If you're willing, you can heal me and make me clean. And we keep reading. It says, Move, Moved with compassion. Moved with compassion, Jesus reached out and touched him. I am willing, he said, be healed. Instantly the, leper the leprosy disappeared and the man was healed. Now Jesus was willing to touch those people, touch those lepers that people normally would not touch. Why? If you look back in verse 41, it says he was moved with compassion. Jesus had compassion for the leper. The word compassion in the original text does not even compare it to the way the English text puts it around. We just write the word compassion. We all have compassion for people. We all have compassion for our loved ones. We all have compassion for things we love. But the word compassion, if you look at the original text, it's this big long word I can't say. I'm not even going to try to say it in original Greek. But this word compassion literally meant gut-wrenching, sickness, pain, compassion for someone. Like, that's not just like, oh, look at that poor guy. That's like, oh, my hurt for that guy. I have compassion for that guy. I want to help that guy. I want to do whatever it takes to help that guy. I have compassion. There was a natural compassion for that person. We as disciples must have compassion for the lepers in our life. Now, who are the lepers in our life? Who are those around us that are lepers? Some of you guys are like, I know someone who's pretty dirty. Well, someone who's pretty stinky, but in, in retrospect, it's the people around us who are struggling, who might have some illness or sickness, and you know how they got that illness and sickness, and it's not really a nice way to get it. Maybe you don't want to touch that person. They don't want to be around that person. Maybe it's someone that you know is just, I mean, you just know they're going through some type of sinful time in their life. You don't want to be around them. But do you have compassion for them? Um, here's kind of a kind of a shot to the waist for you guys. If you're thinking like I don't know anyone who I have compassion for, or you're thinking he can't be talking about that one person. I don't like that person. They're weird. It says this. First John says this. Four twenty says, if someone says I love God but hates the Christian brother or sister, that person is a liar. 
For if we don't love people, we, sorry, for if we don't love people we can see, how can we love God whom we can't see? We have to love people. And the Bible saying, if you don't love people, if you don't have compassion for people, then you don't really love God. Because you can't love God and hate people. That is a, probably one of the hardest things to learn in Christianity is to have compassion for people. And that's hard. That's really hard. Uh, moving secondly, uh, disciple of Jesus befriends sinners. That's number two. A disciple of Jesus will befriend a sinner. You know what I'm talking about? Like the, the, the really bad people, the sinners. The, the, really, the really jacked up people around you. Most of us can look in the mirror and find a really jacked up person. But if we really think about it, the sinners in our lives, those are the people who we need to really start befriending. Listen, check this out. Matthew 9, verse 10 says, Later, Matthew invited Jesus and his disciples to his home as dinner guests along with many tax collectors and other disputable sinners. Now, tax collectors were the lying, thieving, just crooked people of the time. They would pretty much take money and then then some and then only give what was rightfully to Caesar to them, and then they would keep a big old chunk of it to themselves. They were known as thieving, liar people, uh, disreputable sinners. If you look at um, just the majority of people that would hang out with tax collectors were prostitutes. I mean, there were people who would sell themselves to the tax collectors. They had lots of money. Tax collectors were sinners. And there was this big, long, you know, uh, just this pool of just sin. I would imagine that there'd be probably a couple other type of sinners involved in there, but I would assume they'd be mostly prostitutes and tax collectors. Now, why did Jesus go eat with prostitutes and tax collectors? He could have eaten with the most religious people of the day, in really fancy cathedral type setting in a really nice spot. No, he went to the dump, to the lowest of the low, and he ate with the woman who had just probably serviced a few men before she came to meet Jesus. I'd imagine she hadn't even dressed herself up really well enough. There's probably a tax collector who probably kind of stole a bunch of money earlier that day. It wasn't it wasn't even uh, irregular for tax collectors to take uh, people's belongings, their their food, their 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 livestock, their their tools for working. They would take anything, and so you can just imagine Jesus sitting with all these people. But listen to this: it says, when the Pharisees saw, when the Pharisees are the religious nuts at the time, when the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, "Why does your teacher eat with such scum?" When Jesus heard this, he said, "Healthy people don't even need a doctor, but sick people do." And then he added, now go and learn the meaning of the scripture. I want you to show mercy, not sacrifices. For I have come not to call those who think they are righteous, but to those who are sinners. Disciples need to befriend sinners because that is where we are needed. Okay? When we planted Impact City, when we planted Impact City, we didn't plant Impact City and say, hey, let's go to another church, make some friends, grab a group of people, and then, you know, start a church with a bunch of Christians, and then whenever we advertise, we're going to put all of our advertisements on Christian radio, all of our advertisements on all the Christian websites, so that we can attract more Christians to the Impact City. No, we put our advertisements in places where Christians normally don't go. We do a lot of advertisements downtown. I know when we do a lot of the outreaches, we do a lot of advertisements in the bars and stuff downtown. Why? 
because we are not here to be a church for Christians. We're here to be a church for the lost. That is why we do what we do. That is why that, that, that's why we don't we hold church in the hotel and our kids are in the bar doing Christian learning in the bar. How jacked up is that? I've always said that the majority of people here at Impact City have probably more alcohol in their homes than we do in our children's ministry. So that is that is really messed up, but this this is kind of what we're we're aiming for. We're not gonna be befriending other Christians. Yeah, we want to build up Christian and have Christian relationships and networks, and that's great, but our main purpose is to befriend the sinners so that they can get to know Jesus and get to know what, what we have. Not to convert them because we think they're better than them, but to give them life and to offer them the amazing thing that we have because we have compassion for them. And there's some ground rules to this. Because obviously, you, when you play with fire, you're going to get burned. I'm a firefighter. I don't, they didn't just give me the water hose and say, go in there and fight the fire. They said, we're going to train you for about a year before we even let you touch the fire. And this is some of the ground rules we need to know before we go start playing with fire. If you're struggling with temptation, don't hang out with sinners. Like, if you, if, if you love to drink, don't go to the bar and make friends. Okay? If, if you're a guy, don't go to the strip club and think you're going to win the souls over all the strippers and the dancers there. You're, it's not going to go good for you. You're going to totally forget about Jesus the second you walk through the door. Uh, if you're emotionally unstable or weak, don't hang out with sinners. Because here's the thing. When our emotions are here, it's hard to make good decisions. When we're down... It's hard to make good decisions. We start making irrational decisions, and the easiest door out is the one we always go for. And nine times out of ten, the easiest door out is not the right door to go through. So when you're emotionally unstable or weak or down, don't do it. If you're easily persuadable, just don't. Like, you're really the kind of person that's like, I'll just do anything my friends tell me to do. Just don't. Just, 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 just don't. It's not going to go good for you. Um, see, you have to have a strong faith, and a good biblical foundation before you can even attempt to be the guy that those people need. Okay, uh, if you guys Twitter, if you Facebook, if you don't, you probably should. Um, I tweeted this earlier, and this is kind of the tweet for the sermon, is this. Um, a dim light is easily overtaken in a dark world, but a bright light will cut through the darkness and flood the room. You guys ever been in a big warehouse? Now you have is your cell phone light, and it's dark. You know what I mean? It's, you're going to see two feet in front of you. And eventually, the, over, the darkness is going to overtake that light. But say you have a big spotlight. You're going to cut through the darkness. You can go from one wall to the other wall. You're going to see everything around you. We have these little laser pointers at work, and I was amazed at how far they went. Like we would jack with our friends. We'd call them on the radio. Hey, man. Uh, come over here, and we were like on the other side of the refinery, and we would see them walking across the road, like literally like maybe half a mile away, and we would shine that laser from a mile away, and we hit them on the chest, and just, you know, jack them up, they're all freaking out, like, what is that sniper? You know, and so we were, we were that, that laser cuts through the darkness. We as Christians have to cut through the darkness, and if your light is dim, because you're not prepared, if you're emotionally unstable, if you're easily tempted, easily persuadable, if your faith is not strong enough, and if your biblical foundation is not strong enough, you will fall. Because darkness can overpower a little bit of light, but a 
more light will cut through the darkness. So that's your warning. But befriending sinners will, is what we're supposed to do. Now, another warning about befriending sinners is it's going to cause you a lot of, a lot of pain in your life. Um, it will cause you to feel hurt, betrayed, and disappointed. Because when you love someone and you have compassion for them, and they continue to make the same mistakes over and over again, and you're trying to be a friend for them, you're going to take on the most emotional pain that you've ever felt. You're going to take on their burdens, because if you're in community, that's what you do. So be careful with that, and be acknowledgeable of that, because when that happens, you don't want to be caught by surprise. I knew this was happening in my life, when the, uh, a couple of nights back, a few nights back actually, about maybe half a year ago, uh, we were sitting in bed and we were just kind of praying through um, some people in our lives and I just started bawling and I could not stop crying. And I'm, I know I'm losing the man card for this, but <laughs> I would not stop crying. And, and Sarah's like, why are you crying, baby? And she was like holding me, like I was shaking. And I said, I'm bawling my eyes out and all these people that we're praying for and trying to lead are still making the same mistakes. It just hurts me. And here I am, suffering, and they don't even acknowledge it. They don't even know that. But that's what we're supposed to do, right? Us as Christians, we're supposed to bear that weight, bear that suffering, and it's not easy. So be aware that we're supposed to befriend sinners and people who are going through pain and people who are going through problems, and that's what we're supposed to do. But you're going to feel a lot of disappointment from that. But it's okay, because Jesus felt that too. Jesus felt disappointment. When Judas betrayed Jesus, he was hurt. When Peter betrayed Jesus, times three, he was hurt. When his world betrayed him, and they hung him on the cross and murdered him, the creation killed the creator, he was hurt. He was betrayed. He felt lost. But did that stop him from dying before them? No. It's the same thing we need to do. So a uh, quick little recap, a disciple of Jesus touches lepers, befriends sinners, and last but not least, disciple of Jesus offends Pharisees. Offends Pharisees, the overly religious nuts. Going beyond religion is what I always say Jesus did. Uh, see, I believe the closer we get to know Jesus, the more and more and more we're going to offend the overly religious, the people who are so stuck on tradition. A disciple of Jesus does not hold tight to just tradition. They're open-minded, and they go beyond that to do whatever it takes, short of sin, to win someone for Christ. That's what disciples of Jesus do. Look at Luke uh, chapter 13. It says this. This is verse 10. It says, One Sabbath day, Jesus was teaching in the synagogue. He saw a woman who had been crippled by an evil spirit, and she had been doubled for 18 she had been she had been bent double for 18 years. That means she was crippled. She was hunched over for 18 years and was unable to stand up straight. When Jesus saw her, he called her over and said, Dear woman, you are healed of your sickness. And he touched her, and instantly she became straight up again, and she was healthy, and she praised God. Now, what do you all think about that? Like, if you're there in the room, 
And Jesus comes over, and here's this little crippled lady, and she can't walk. And he just does this little, like, slight little touch of her back, and she just, like, stands up. What would y'all think about that? Y'all, come on. What y'all think about that? Awesome. Awesome? Okay, great. I love the enthusiasm in y'all's voices. I mean, like, seriously, they're like, and I bet you there were some people that was like, did you know it's like that awkward guy in the, in the teen movies that just starts to clap, you know what I mean? I bet you everyone was like spelled out, and there was one guy that was like, whoa, just like jumping and going on. He's like, go JC, you know, like, he was probably like ecstatic about it, and just really happy about it, right? But there were some dudes that were not happy, like the Pharisees. It says, but the leader in charge of the synagogues of the Pharisees was indignant. That means he was ticked off. He was mad that Jesus had healed her on the Sabbath day. And there were six days of the week for working, he said to the crowd. Come on those days to be healed, not the Sabbath. It's like... He was so mad because she got healed on the Sabbath. I know the Sabbath is a day for rest, right? Like, we're supposed to work six days and take a Sabbath day to rest. It's a commandment. If you're not resting at all, you need to find ways to rest. I know it's tough. Believe me, I worked like 80 hours plus this week. I didn't rest that much, okay? But this man said, look, this is the Sabbath. We can't even be healing. We can't be doing anything on Sabbath. And this is Jesus healing on the Sabbath? No, no, no. If you want to get healed, come on the other days of the week. Don't come on the Sabbath day to get healed. Look how offended he was. Everyone's throwing a party, and he's mad. Why was he mad? Because he was more focused on the law and the rules. He's like the nerd that can never just relax, you know what I mean? See, Jesus was not concerned at all about the Sabbath day. Now, he did follow the law, he did follow the Sabbath, and he did say to take a Sabbath. But if something happened on the Sabbath, he didn't go all nutso and freak out like this one guy did. He was more concerned with the fact that the woman needed healing. That's what he really was concerned about. Uh, See, Jesus honored the law, but he also decided that if she needed to be healed, we're going to heal that's what we need to do and that's more important than following this law she is here for healing let that happen his whole focus was to build his kingdom and not to worry about the law and if you're going to be a disciple one day if we start being a disciple you're going to be doing things like that you're going to be doing things that are going to offend people like hold your children's ministry in the bar I don't care that it's a bar. Well, you know what I care about? I care about the every day when little Peyton told his dad that he wanted to come to church when they were all sick. And he said, no, no, I want to go to church. I really want to go to church. I care about when my kids pray at night and they thank God for what they learned and they remember what they learned. I thank God for the kids being here in the circle in this worship center praying over their parents. How many kids pray over their parents? I thank God for the amazing ministry that we have over there in the bar. Now that offends some people, then this ain't the place for them. But the most amazing thing is that kids are going into the bar, the children's bar, and they're learning about Jesus, and they're learning things uh, from Sarah that, that and, and the volunteers who go over there that they wouldn't only learn probably if they weren't here at this church. That's what I care about. I don't care about the fact that we're in a motel room. 
I care about the fact that we have people in the hotel room. It doesn't matter to me that we don't have a building and we're not all big and great. What matters to me is that we have people who are changing. We don't grow in people, we grow in people. That is what we're all about. Now that might offend some people. It might offend some people the way I preach at times. It might offend some people the way y'all walk and talk about Jesus. I was talking to this old man at, at, uh, at, um, at work. His name was Tom. Awesome man. He just retired. Um, but um, one day I was talking to Tom. Right? I'm talking to Tom and we're sitting there. He's all, Felix, uh, do you know? I didn't know you were a preacher. And I said, yeah, Tom, I know. I'm a preacher. And, and I was like, that's good. I, I just, I, I, I think it's a great thing that, that you that you preach. I think that, you know Jesus, and you lead your family. I said, yes, Tom, I think it's a, it's the only way I've ever really known, Tom. And, and he said, Felix, more people need to know about this Jesus. I mean, this is what they need. I said, yes, sir, because Jesus is amazing. He is, he is the Messiah. He is our Savior. I said, yes, sir. I'm just like in awe of Tom. I'm like, well, this guy's a real good guy. You know what Tom said next? Says, Felix, people just don't know that. You know they need to know this. You know, like he said the word, like I mean, literal scubula. I mean, he said that, right? People need to know this scubula. You know what scubula means? It means feces. You know what sheepy means? S H I T. There you go. I said it. Then that offends you. Turn the podcast off. I don't care. Okay. And so he said that, and I was kind of, you know, like jaw dropped, right? And I'm thinking. Tom's pretty cool. <laughs> that was pretty cool. Now, if he was to say that in certain churches, they'd probably flip out. But was I more concerned with the fact that he said that? Or was I more concerned about the five-minute conversation I had with him before he said that word? What's going to offend you? What's not going to offend you? What is going to be the most important thing? And what's going to really matter? At the end of the day, when we get to heaven, we're not going to sit there and argue about what version of the Bible is the right version. We're not going to give a crap about that. We're not going to get up there and argue about was it right or wrong to go to the dance? Was it right or wrong to wear a bikini? If you're a guy, you wear a bikini, it's wrong. If, if, you know, was it right or wrong to do this? Was it right or wrong for me to have a beer once in a while? Was it right or wrong to do this or that? We're not going to argue about that. You know what we're going to do with heaven? We're going to get to heaven. We're going to forget about everything else. And we're going to worship God. We're going to worship Jesus up there. And that's the only thing that's going to matter. All your troubles on this life, all the pain that you went through, all the, all the, all the messed up situations, all the great situations as well are going to be overshadowed by the face of Jesus. So don't worry about it. Don't worry about offending people. As long as you honor Christ and you worship Him and you are a disciple and you follow Him with your whole heart and everything you do is biblical, then offer no apologies for being headstrong for Christ and being relentlessly pursuing Him. I don't, I don't offer any apologies for what I do. And I've ticked off a lot of people. <laughs> um, so, that might sound radical, but Jesus was radical. Amen? I mean, Jesus was anything short of radical. 
If we're to be disciples of Jesus, if I could take one word out of this sermon, is that we need to be radical for him. A disciple in a nutshell is a radical for Jesus. Amen? Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much. God, thank you for coming to the earth and allowing us to be your disciples. God, thank you for giving us strength and wisdom to follow you, God. God, we pray for those who do not know you, Lord, that we may be a light that cuts through their darkness to find them and to rescue them, to be radically pursuing you, Lord. God, may we continue to do that. God, I want to pray also for the offering today, that you would take this offering, that you would be honored and glorified by it, that you would multiply it in your own way, that you would make it what it has to be, so that we have everything that is uh, needed, and you would bless that offering, Lord, because you are awesome, Lord. You are a great God. You give us what we need and not what we want. We thank you for that. God, we praise you for um, the church and the impact city and what you're doing here within these walls. And we praise you even more for what you're doing outside these walls. And it's in Jesus' name we humbly pray. Amen.